welcome to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. This is episode 109, and with me this month, because let's be realistic about this, uh, with me this month is Alex Kulafi. Hey, everybody. Hi, so you're new to the show. Yep. Um, you might have heard Alex on Connectivity. Have, have you been on RFN at all? or uh... No, just Connectivity. Okay, so this is kind of your like uh, debut outside of uh, Connectivity. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, this is the first episode post E3 and all that, and uh, so it's, it's been a little bit crazy here. I, I as usual, uh, have a lot of other things going on, like uh, I got married, so uh, h- hence the delay getting back to this podcast. But uh, we're here, we got a great lineup here, and uh, you know, with that we should just get started. fun song to kick things off yeah i think so people may not know what game this is yet uh, i certainly don't has really good music and obviously we can talk more about that after we tell people what game it is but uh, for now uh, we just have a question here so the hint question is who is the final boss of this game and what is his relevance in the context of the series 
you haven't figured it out yet, um, well, you probably just haven't played this game before. Uh, what game is this, Alex? This is Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. Yeah, technically I pulled this one from Crystal, although I, they're probably in, those songs are probably in all three. I, I, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, obviously the sequel to uh, the original Pokemon, uh, Red, Blue, uh, and I guess Yellow. And uh, it's, you know, it has a really good soundtrack, just like the original. And uh, it feels like uh, the tech was, you know, a bit better. You know, it was Game Boy Color uh, aware or whatever, if that makes any difference. But, uh, you know, some of the songs are reprises from the first game. Yeah, but they're kind of richer or kind of more interesting, in my opinion. So, it, you know, it has a really good soundtrack. I think there's like over 100 songs in it. I mean, so it's pretty big. But, uh, I mean, you're Alex, you're a big Pokemon fan, right? I am. And what I will say about this soundtrack, and at least the soundtracks for the first three uh, generations of Pokemon, if you will, leading up to Ruby and Sapphire and stuff. At first, when you first play these games... They'll just be sort of music in the background, you know. But as you sort of grow up with the series, you start to follow the music more. And when you start to listen to the music more and more with a further developed sense of music, you start to realize how complex all of these songs are. (laughs) And, uh, no, I like gold and silver. I don't know if those are my favorite Pokemon games, but it certainly has my favorite soundtrack out of all of them. Yeah, I, I find that, um, you know, as someone who played Pokemon for the first two generations and then just sort of fell off the bandwagon or whatever, um, I mean, I, I think the music's the thing that stuck with me the most. Um, it, it just, obviously, you know, some of the songs are reprised of things like Smash Brothers or other spin-off games, but it just sort of the, the core library of music that those first two games kind of established or just sort of like a, they've just been pulling from it from, you know, for decades since, or at least a decade since, and, you know, it still isn't old. You know, those songs are still good. And uh, it just sort of very impressive, uh, you know, it's almost like... Um, a, a tool that they use to build on top of for all these other spin-off games and the like. But the game itself, uh, I mean, it, it's a big game. Pokemon Gold Silver is it's huge. The thing that I remember the most about it is uh, how you know I beat the the final boss or what I think is the final boss, and then all of a sudden it's like, holy crap! You can go back to where the, the first game was and like explore all that too. That like sort of blew my mind uh, when I played that game. So. Uh, that, that's sort of the one memory that really sticks out for me. Is there anything about Gold Silver that uh, you think is really notable? Well, when I first played it, I totally agree with, with you. Like, it's twice the game you thought it was, or at least they make it seem that way. It really is like a you know second quest type effect, you know. Yeah, but the uh, the only disagreement I'll have about that is if you notice how they uh, how they bring back Kanto, or how all of Johto is designed, they basically simplified everything in Johto. Like, it's a very simple... Uh, you basically keep going up. Hmm. It has a very basic map. And I think they do that to keep two generations in. But uh, in Kanto, it's awesome. You get to fight Red. You get to... F- you know, go after all eight badges, you get to go after Snorlax and stuff. The, uh... Everything is simplified in that you can see a lot of unfinished parts of the map. Hmm. Like, Safari Zone never made it back in. Uh, Viridian Forest, it's just... It's barely what it was before. It doesn't even look the same. And, uh... Just a lot of the map is cut down. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's still cool. There's a lot of diversity in it. Yeah. So you mentioned you can fight Red. People may not know who you're talking about. That, that's the protagonist from the first game. So it's sort of this bizarre thing where you've, you've played this whole game and then all of a sudden you're kind of playing yourself. It, it, it really is... It's sort of a interesting uh, touch. <laughs> and, and the best touch about it is that, like the original, the final boss, Red, he doesn't talk either. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know, like, even just two years after Red and Blue came out, it was still very nostalgic mm-hmm. to see who you were 
facing off against who you are now. Right. Right. It's, it's kind of like someone took the idea of like the Shadow Link from like Zelda 2 and actually made it work like so we cared about it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a great game. Um, I mean, I know they remade it for uh, the DS. I, I don't know if... Is that really... If you wanted to go back and revisit that game, is that really the way to do it? They're different. You know what? I would say go back and play Silver and Gold first because that one has all of the heart in it. That one has all of the original charm in it. And Silver, like uh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver, they're good. And they have the most content probably out of any Pokemon game ever. But they don't change that much. They just sort of upgrade it into Generation 4. <laughs> and it's it's cool. But it didn't bring back a lot of memories. So I would really... Like, Silver and Gold's the one I cherish the most. So that's the one I gotta stick by. That's, uh, that's interesting. Do you think the, the soundtrack may have a bit to do with that? Because obviously when they converted it to DS, it's not like it sounds 8-bitty anymore. They've probably rearranged all the music and the like. Did that play a significant role, you think, in the nostalgia factor? Um, well, there is an item later in the game where I don't know if this is spoilers or not, but there is an item after you get the 16th badge called, like, GB Music or something that actually, it's a key item that plays the original music, sort of. <laughs> over it. Well, no, because they have to, like, it's clearly remastered or changed. Like, some of the songs don't quite sound right. But it is kind of cool. The uh, the soundtrack they use for Heart Gold and Soul Silver, it just doesn't bring back the feeling. And that's how it was for Fire Red and Leaf Green for me, too. I mean, they're good games, but... Alright. Well, we should probably move on to the next game here, but uh, thank you for that... Uh suggestion there of, of uh, Pokemon Gold and Silver, Alex. Thanks. <laughs> I think Pedro had also requested that, so I'll give a shout out to him too. This game. I'm just gonna flat out say it. <laughs> All right. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone actually knows this game.
Kind of creepy. Yeah. Here's the question. The PC game on which this release is based was notable for using what then-impressive graphical style? Do you have any idea what game this is? I mean, any wild guesses? Well, can I guess what genre it is? Sure. Well, the soundtrack. The uh, the first two songs sounded kind of RPG, mm-hmm. but this last song kind of sounded like a beat-em-up. Hmm. So I'm going to go with beat-em-up. It's probably an RPG. I might be wrong on both. Well, you are. This is actually mech warrior for the super nintendo which is of course uh, in the BattleTech universe this is a a sort of port or adaptation of the pc game which i think came out in like 1988 or 1989 and uh, it was like one of the first first person uh 3d polygonal games out there really for the pc and uh it was you know it was kind of like Star Fox style um, with like uh, no textured uh, faces, really. They didn't really do the same graphical style for the Super Nintendo game. This is using Mode Seven, uh, so you know, like your cockpit and stuff is basically in you know a two D overlay, and then there's Mode Seven stuff going on, you know, in, in the actual viewfinder kind of. And so it seems like it's actually a technically competent game that you, know, you can walk around, fight guys, and you you know you choose mechs and customize the parts and stuff, just like in the uh, in the real MechWarrior games for the PC. Uh, Do you ever play any of the MechWarrior games? That's something you have any exposure to, or? Well, I've heard of the series. Um, I'm uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now. It does look cool. This is a first-person shooter, basically, where you drive a mech. And uh, on the PC game, it was a DOS kind of fake polygonal game. You know, it uses polygons with very simple graphics. Um, not unlike... Uh, I don't think it was necessarily considered wireframe, but it, it is similar to, like, X for the Game Boy, if that means anything. It's, maybe that's equally esoteric. Um 
basically, you know, the MechWarrior games were pretty uh, advanced for their time. They were, they were very much bleeding edge when, when they were the thing in the 90s. Um, I think I played, I want to say maybe MechWarrior 2, or maybe it was 3 for a little bit on my computer. I was terrible at it, and I eventually gave up. But, yeah, it was an impressive game. You know, you're steering this giant mech around, and, and you know, you're going after the baddies. But uh, I'm just not competent at these games, so... Uh, I can't say I had a whole lot of fun, you know. I put it in the same bin as uh, Command and Conquer or something, where it's like I, I kind of like the idea, but I'm I'm just pissed terrible at them because I, I just didn't grow up playing those kind of games. So, uh, so these have an upgrade system, right? Like the uh, the mechs. Yeah, I, I think that I mean there are different classes of mechs that are more powerful, and you can switch out certain weapons that are kind of modular. Um, and, and often there's a trade-off, you know, some are, you know, heavy armored, but slower and some are agile, but, you know, can take less damage. So, so there's, you know, there's a good deal of, uh, strategy and, and variety in how you can approach playing these games. The only other interesting thing I'm seeing on this page is that apparently it's part RPG, part economic simulator, and part, uh, <laughs> other simulator. I can't talk to that. Is there like a dating sim buried in here or something? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, mech simulation, maybe? Uh, well, I, I think there may be like a, you know, you have a certain amount of money you can spend on parts. I think that might be where the economics come in. Uh, I recall something like that on the PC games. Um, but I don't think there's anything too complex going on there. But, uh, you know, the, the Battletech universe is one of these multi-pronged things, you know. They're kind of like Pokemon. They had a card game which uh, that was like the only card game I attempted to ever actually learn. Uh, so I, I have a deck, or at least I did for a long time. I may have eventually thrown it away. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, I think there's probably a TV show or anime or something also in, in the mix there. So, it, you know, it, it was at least it attempted to be a big thing. I, I'm not sure uh, if it was anywhere near as successful as something like uh, Pokemon. Yeah. But uh, I think the games themselves were were highly regarded back in the day. Hey, we should probably move on since neither of us have a whole lot to say about Mech Warrior for the Super Nintendo. I just thought it was an interesting pick. I'm I'm impressed that they uh, were able to pull it off. And it and if you if you do a Let's Play or YouTube videos of it, it, it looks pretty impressive. It's it's worth at least uh, checking out. It's interesting to see uh, Mode Seven applied in that way because you know it's usually a you know a racer or something. This is really trying to be something closer to a first-person shooter. We're going to go on to uh, the next request, which is uh, was requested by Alex, but it was also a listener request. Golden Link, this is uh, for you.
We have a hint question here for you. It's also, yeah, it's a hint. <laughs> uh, special battle techniques consume which resource in this game? Maybe I didn't choose the most obvious songs from this game, but uh, this is Paper Mario for the Nintendo 64. I wouldn't say that you necessarily chose the wrong songs for this, because The Last Leave is the first village in the game that song comes from, right? Uh, no, I think I think this is one where you're controlling Peach up there in the, in the castle. Right, 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 those, uh, those mini-stages. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty useless in this game, I have to say. Like, she can't even jump or anything. She can really just go in a direction. I think she makes cake later. <laughs> that sounds about right. It's like, whatever happened to, like, the princess from, like, Mario 2? I guess that was a dream, right. but, uh, come on, guys, you know? <laughs> she's, she's not helpless. Come on. <laughs> mm, I'm just gonna sit in my room. I'll wait. I'll wait for this star kid to help me. That's okay. Things will work out. But, uh, yeah, Paper Mario, I mean, it, back in the day, this was, like, huge. I mean, one, because it was, like, the last, one of the last big N64 games. And uh, also, like, people were just shocked that there would be a sequel to um, Super Mario RPG in any way, shape, or form. Because, of course, there was that huge falling out with uh, Square and uh, Nintendo back then. But, uh, you know, this was a, this was a meaty game. Warmly received by uh, Nintendo fans without much else to play. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, it's it's not a perfect game by any means, but it, there's a lot of fun stuff to do. It's it's a uh, you know there's lots to explore and a lot of little side quests and things to check out. Uh, are you are you a big fan of Paper Mario or in this game in particular, or where do you think this falls in line between you know the other Mario RPG games? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I've noticed that there are really two camps for Paper Mario. There are the people who uh, who really love it, or at least really like it, and up to the point of saying that it's one of their favorite games ever, along with Thousand Year Door, which is usually slightly better received. Or there are the people. <laughs> That's my least favorite. Really? <laughs> yeah, Thousand Year Door is my least favorite Paper Mario game. <laughs> um, wait, even including Super Paper Mario? I like Super Paper Mario the best of all of them. We can talk about that in a minute then. Um, <laughs> and then there are the people who uh, they kind of liked it, but they weren't really too impressed in relation to other stuff they've played. Uh -huh. And I will tell you, I am kind of in the first camp. Because, like Pokemon, this was one of the childhood-defining games for me. And uh, going back to it, like, I can see some of the complaints, like, yes, the pacing's kind of bad, it starts yeah. really slow, and the RPG stuff is kind of simplified, mm -hmm. but it has an enormous amount of charm in it, like, sure. like especially in the presentation, and I even think the mechanics are pretty fun, even though they use very low numbers compared to a lot of RPGs. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I think it kind of points out how a lot of RPGs sort of have really inflated, you know, numbers just for the sake of eleven's bigger than ten, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> this one goes up to eleven. <laughs> I mean, I really think that, and so I mean, I like Paper Mario. I like kind of the crazy places they kind of take the Mario franchise at times. Uh, I think that at times it gets, feels a little stretched out. Um, I think the pacing in, in all the Paper Mario games is, is a little broken. Um, especially in Thousand Year Door, I find that in Thousand Year Door is a lot of backtracking. Um, too much for my taste. And, and maybe there's, I guess there's a bit of that in the others too, but it just, I seem to remember it the most in uh, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. Um, Super Paper Mario, I like because it was. I liked the real timiness of it. I mean, the, it wasn't a turn based RPGs, which I actually thought worked really well for the Paper Mario series. That, now, there are a couple of levels that are terrible. Like, there's one where you're, whatever, doing menial labor or something. And that's, oh, yeah, you know, when you have to earn the, uh, the million, like, coins or something. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like trolling the player or something. That, that's terrible. Right. But uh, I really liked the, the presentation in, in Super Paper Mario. And, and like I said, I, I thought the um, making it closer to a platformer really um, gave it a, a very unique and, and different feel. I, like, I, I wish I took the, uh, the same perspective you do, but because I, um, I have such this respect or love, essentially, for the Paper Mario series, mm-hmm. seeing it change was really hard for me, and, uh, I, I don't mind that it changes as long as it changes for the better, but to me, Super Paper Mario, it took out all of the, uh, it took out the partner mechanic in the sense that there's no, like, uh, revamped enemies become friends sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. And also... I thought that as a platformer and an RPG, I thought it was too slow for a platformer because of the RPG mechanics, and I thought it was too fast for an RPG because of the platforming mechanics. And I just thought that at the end of the day, it didn't work out as well as I hoped. So you must be uh, really looking forward to uh, Sicker Star since that really is kind of a return to its roots. Uh... I don't like that Sticker Star is getting levels again, and okay. I don't like that uh, experience can't be earned during battles, but Intelligent Systems, they're great developers, they made all the great Fire Emblem games, I love the Paper Mario first two at least. I'm, I'm at least convinced that whatever they put out for Sticker Star, it will be a good if not really good game, because uh, Super Paper Mario, it's not a bad game, like it's still mm-hmm. kind of enjoyable, it's just not what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I have to hold it in the lower regard. But I mean, it's fair. I'm still looking forward to it. I'm still going to pre-order it most likely. But I'm right. I'm wary. Well, I, that's fair. I mean, I I understand if, if you're looking for an RPG experience and you're told well, this one doesn't have any experience, any experience points, it kind of makes you scratch your head, you know. Right. And Castlevania uh, for the 3DS almost has the same phenomenon going on where well, it's sort of kind of like the Met- Metroidvania games, but it doesn't have an experience either. Right. Uh, you know, so we'll see how the, those two projects work out. We should probably answer the uh, trivia question before we move on. Um, I mean, anyone familiar with the series knows the answer, really. You consume flower points. I don't know, they're basically your magic meter, I mean, for all intents and purposes. Uh, I don't recall, can you use flower points uh, anywhere else in this game, or is it purely for battle? I believe it's entirely for battle. One thing that Paper Mario introduced, uh, I don't know if it was anywhere else before, is the badge system, and I, I really like that. I don't know if any other game really had that sort of thing where you, you have kind of a an allotment of points you can allocate to upgrading yourself. I, I guess you've seen it in other games, in other forms, like... Uh, um, I guess like if you look at Resident Evil, that sort of a suitcase-type thing where you, you can only fit so much in there, or... Uh, or Mega Man Battle Network, they have kind of the same thing going on. But uh, it seems like Paper Mario was the first game I saw that in. Well, I just kind of see it as like an evolution of maybe how armor works in some RPGs, where it gives the stat boosts, maybe it makes some things available to you if you have really good armor that gives you enough of a boost. I just think that uh, Paper Mario does it better, kind of. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you're not limited to one thing. It's it's like a combination of things that right. you're allowed to apply, um, which is a bit different from the usual, well, I equip this armor and I have this weapon. And... Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go on to the next list of requests. This one is from Linthicum. Not Linthicum. <laughs> That's a city. <laughs> Lithium from British Columbia, Canada. That's right, this is 8-bit, folks. you with this uh, 8-bit stuff you know before your time probably yeah but uh, here's the question anyway what is the name of the town in which this game is set be the only one thinking of Zelda 2 right now with that like absurd vibrato there but do you have any idea what game this might be Alex like I I totally missed with the first time I tried and I just got nothing right now like <laughs> like the music sounds nice I oh. just there, there's no way I know what this is though all right well this is gun smoke or gun dot smoke for the NES which is a port of an arcade game by Capcom and uh, 
it's a top-down shooter. Uh, it's almost interesting because it's not an airplane-based or spaceship-based top-down shooter, but it, it plays very much like that. It's uh, you're kind of auto-scrolling forward through this town, like shooting up bandits, and uh, it's actually got pretty novel controls because the way it works is you can move around in any direction with the D-pad, and uh, you shoot straight by pushing A plus B. And if you just push A, you shoot kind of diagonally to the right. And if you push B, you shoot diagonally to the left. And so uh, it's actually kind of a cool way of almost doing kind of a dual analog stick type uh, uh, thing on the NES. So you walk around and you're whatever shooting up bad guys. And then there's, you know, the head bandit who has a, a bounty on his head that you, you fight as the boss of the level. So it's, it's a pretty simple game, but... Uh, it, you know, you shoot up barrels and get power-ups, and, you know, it's, it's very much in the style of other top-down shoot-em-ups. But uh, it's set in the Old West. And the interesting uh, thing I didn't know about this game until I did some research was that this is has a link to Red Dead to Redemption, uh, which was, you know, the recent, uh, you know, what is that? Was that for PS3? Red Dead Redemption and... It was it was for all of the uh, the new systems, but I think this like Red Dead Revolver was the direct spiritual successor to this, right. I guess. And then Red Dead Redemption was the follow up to that. Well, no, what happened was uh, Red Dead Revolver was canceled. That was something that Capcom was working on, I guess, with its developer, and uh, Rockstar, I guess, picked it up from the developer and, and tweaked it and and made it into kind of a different thing to some extent. But uh, there is this strange. Uh, Genesis in this old arcade and NES game uh, for one of the what people think of as a very modern game so uh, that's sort of interesting uh, I don't really have anything else to say it's a very simple game uh, it has good music uh, hopefully uh, I can squeeze in a little bit of that in the background but uh, it's it's an interesting game I, I think that I don't know if I've seen those uh, control mapping anywhere else I'd be curious to know if any other top-down shooters or other games like that uh, used A and B in that way, because that's that's actually pretty clever. All right, we got one last game here, and it's a doozy.
Well, uh, I'm not sure we featured the kazoo before on this uh, podcast, but uh, there we have it, the kazoo, (laughs) or something that sounds very much like it, at least. All right, well, we should probably save our comments for uh, (laughs) this next song. soundtrack this is it's fantastic michael uh i i tried to choose well on this game it it was tough (laughs) (laughs) all right uh here's your question the last one of the uh show what is the name of the main character's purple best friend
always been kind of zany so i guess i shouldn't be too surprised by the soundtrack what game is this this is rayman origins right which was released of course for well, well, several different platforms including Wii. um and I, I guess 3ds is that right i think i don't think it's out yet I think it's uh it's been put back it's been pushed back a few times. Okay. It was supposed to come back come out earlier this month, but I don't think it is. It'll it'll release eventually. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, of course, uh, this is uh, a 2D Rayman platformer, um, and I, I'd say it's I guess kind of like some of the old 2D. I mean, the first Rayman game, I owned it. I played it on the PC. I didn't think it was very good. Yeah. But I did think that uh, the Game Boy Color games, or at least the the ones I played, were actually pretty good. Uh, there were 2D side-scrolling platformers, and you know, the Rayman 2: The Great Escape is probably one of my favorite 3D platformers, uh, in spite of its warts. So, you know, Rayman Origins is is a really good game. I really only had a chance to play it at E3, and I playing it, uh, the sequel at E3 reminded me, oh yeah, I need to go play this game. I need to buy Rayman Oranges, because uh, it, it looks really good. I mean, the Wii U game was fantastic at E3, and and uh, there's another game on the store shelves right now that I can buy that's more of that, so I really should buy it. <laughs> well, let me tell you this about the game. My first time ever playing it was today. Hmm. Because I actually, uh, I bought it like a week or so ago, and uh, Gamefly had a sale, and they were selling the PS3 version for $12. Ooh, that's good. That's very good. I think the retail price now is like 30 bucks. Something along those lines. It, it, like, even at 30 it's still a really good uh, deal. Mm-hmm. But I played a few hours today, and I actually requested it preemptively, knowing I was going to play a bunch today. And I will tell you, there is a lot of creativity coming out of this game. Like, yeah. the art style looks exactly like a cartoon. The uh, like the, the game is pretty funny. The platforming, it's like an almost as good Donkey Kong Country that's a little bit easier. Hmm. But it still works really well. Like, it has the same collecting and stuff, and like the same, like, hidden areas. Hmm. And, um, the, uh, the music... It might be one of my favorite parts of the game because, like, it's kind of silly, but at the same time, it's really, really well done. Yeah. I mean, it's silly, but not just for the sake of being silly. It's actually, like, well composed, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Like, even in that second song, that, I mean, clearly they're going for some joke factor in the, you know, high pitched uh, Alvin and Chickman stuff, but. It, there are a couple of layers of humor there because it's uh, a water level, so it like sounds like they're like drowning and and stuff. And yeah. the actual composition of that song is actually kind of fun. It's kind of a you know doo wop kind of song. So it, yeah, it, there's a lot going on there. Um, I have to think that maybe the Rabbids have left their impression on the Rayman universe, but uh, it's good. I mean, that third song sounds like something out of. Maybe like a, a Jim Henson movie, like uh, The Dark Crystal or something. <laughs> I don't know, like the evil laughter. I can just see Muppets like laughing amongst themselves, you know. So I don't know. Maybe that's just where my mind goes, because that's where how I grew up. But uh, yeah, it, yeah I, I really want to check out more of this game and uh, its sequel because it, it's a lot of fun. I, I don't. Unfortunately, my experience of the game was with four players at E3, uh, which is just chaos. You know, the I, I imagine this game is just utter chaos with anything more than two people. 
because there's a lot more going on in it than in New Super Mario Bros. Wii, and that gets pretty chaotic for. So, um, I think that I will just play this game by myself. <laughs> one, of, one of the best parts about the game is that, like, by itself, the, uh, the main story, I guess, is maybe six to eight hours if you take your time, but because it's a Donkey Kong Country-esque platformer, there are a lot of uh, bonus stuff, like bonus levels and stuff locked away, mm-hmm. and like you really do keep coming back to it. Like, partially in the same way you would come back to a Mario or Donkey Kong game, where you just kind of want to play that level again because you remember liking it, but also because there's always something else to unlock. So is it like more like um, there's a hidden door that you can break down kind of a thing, like with yeah, the barrels? It's, it's, well, I don't know if there's barrels in the game, but it's definitely... <laughs> And, but I don't think like they do a lot of uh, they do a lot of interesting things. Like I think they use a didgeridoo a few times in lieu of uh, of barrels. But it has a lot of the same like locked away uh, areas, and they basically have they have an equivalent of the KONG in Donkey Kong Country, basically. Okay. And I would presume that the lums are analogous to uh, bananas or something. Yeah, generally. Um, But one of the better parts of this is that as you, like, you know, the way I'd put it is like Super Mario 3D Land. It's as hard as deep you go. Like, the deeper you go, the harder it is. Like, if you will play the first world, okay, like, you don't even have to pay that much attention. But if you go for some of the bonus levels... And if you try collecting some like the harder to reach stuff, the game can get really challenging. Well, I think that's the way. I mean, most recent Rayman games I can think of are like. I mean, they're. I guess I'm thinking of two and three, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's they're not usually designed to to just sort of put up a wall at some point. Really, the first one had that problem absolutely, but that was just bad level design. So. All right. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we should probably answer the question before we wrap up. Uh, the answer to the question, of course, is uh, Globox, who has been around at least since the second uh, Rayman game. And uh, he's the big purple... Is he like a toad, or what? what is he? I don't, like... I, I know I know Globox, but I don't know what species he is. <laughs> I'm going to go with purple toad. All right. <laughs> Purple Cartoon Toad. So before we uh, close up, I, I want to uh, plug something that Johnny and I worked on a few weeks ago. Uh, most listeners probably have checked it out already, but it, just in case you haven't, uh, Johnny and I together a uh, Discover Music Project episode uh, on Hip Tanaka. Discover Music Project is uh, Johnny's uh, music podcast where he introduces a different band or artist uh, with every show and, and this time uh, we did Hip Tanaka so there's a bunch of 8-bit NES music in there and some Game Boy music and uh, we talked about Hip and, and his work and the games a little bit and there are a few things at the end that are just sort of kind of crazy I mean there, there's one uh, if you like the Rayman Origin stuff there's, there's a song in there for you alright so uh, if you have not checked that out yet you can find it at Crosstalk Go to C-R-O-S-S-T-A-W-K.com. You will find Discover Music Project as one of the podcasts on there. And uh, just check it out. It's, uh, it was from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it maybe the weekend before E3 started, I believe. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, there's some Tetris. There's some you know, Mario Land. There's good stuff there. So uh, check that out. With that, I, I want to thank you, Alex, for co-hosting here. You are welcome. And I will see everyone, I guess, <laughs> in another month, because that seems to be what we're doing nowadays. So until then, uh, listen to Connectivity, listen to Radio Free Nintendo, and, of course, read the Nintendo World Report website. Bye, everyone. Bye.
Pokemon Crystal is copyright 2001 Nintendo. MechWarrior is copyright 1993 Activision Fossa Corporation Beam Software. Paper Mario is copyright 2001 Nintendo. Gunsmoke is copyright 1988 Capcom. Rayman Origins is copyright 2011 Ubisoft. <laughs> Alright, uh, here's your question. The last one of the uh, show. What is the name of the main character's purple best friend? And I could have sworn I've asked this question before, but oh well.